You're listening to audio from NC Worship, the Sunday morning worship gathering of Neartown Church in Houston, Texas. As a church, from the beginning, we've been inviting busy people to experience the peace of life of Jesus Christ. As you begin experiencing that life, what we hope to grow is being a person that's loving. Our church is fortunate to be involved in different parts of the world and to help people, not only in the city of Houston, but to the really to the ends of the earth, experience the love of God in real, practical kinds of ways. You know, we learn to love all through thinking carefully about how God shows to love us. And this is the Christmas story. It's the great act of God's love. So if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Luke, chapter 1. If you don't have the Bible, raise your hand, and I'll even tell you what page number it's on. It's on page 855. Um, Caden? And Rock, we're going to pass them out. So just slip up your hand if you need one. Good job, buddy. Right here, Paige. Good man. All right. So Luke chapter 1 is where we begin to see the story of the birth of Jesus. Maybe you've read this. You've heard it earlier when I was sending you read it to the children. But it's a story we can read over and over. Because what it does is it tells us about God's great act of love in sending His only begotten Son. So God becomes flesh in the form of this little bitty baby, which is quite incredible to think about. So Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Let's read these verses. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed. And betrothed means like engaged, so it's like you're engaged. It's a little different than engagement today because it's the commitment is like marriage, except for you're not physically uh, at that point intimate for this day. So to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name is Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying because an angel just talked to her. I mean, let's be honest about that. It's a kind of strange moment in history, right? In this day, when an angel, people were terrified of the idea of an angel visiting them, which is why every time somebody was visited by an angel, it says that the scripture says they were shocked. <laughs> and, uh, and not only is, is she so shocked because this angel is talking to her, but she's shocked at what she's about to hear. Um, angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How Will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angels answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. This is incredible news. She will give birth to the long-anticipated, the long-desired Messiah. The one that Jewish people have been talking about for several hundred years. They've been anticipating that God would send one that would deliver them, be their Savior. Now, many Jews thought that this Savior would deliver them from Roman oppression because things were very difficult for them throughout their history, and especially during this time. The Romans 
uh, oppressed them in, in every kind of way. They were impoverished. The, the average Jew during this time lived below the poverty line, the bread line. They didn't even have enough money to put food on the table. So it's interesting to consider this, that when God became flesh, he became flesh in really dire circumstances. I mean, this is a beautiful story. But we cannot miss the fact that that there's a lot about when Jesus was born that's ugly, that's, that's terrible, that's, that's, that's difficult, that's, that's hard to hear. I mean, Mary and Joseph, um, just a short time later, are going to have to travel, with Mary being pregnant, travel from Bethlehem, I'm sorry, uh, from Nazareth to Bethlehem, because the Roman Emperor Augustus wanted to reorganize this part of his kingdom. And the reason he wanted to reorganize it, he wanted to count people so he could more heavily tax them. I mean, it was a very hard time to live and to survive. And now they're going to reorganize and they're going to gain even more control over them. There's going to be more taxes. And so this is why Mary and Joseph ended up in Bethlehem. It's interesting to think also that the very first uh, people that were not Mary and Joseph uh, to be visited in a special kind of way by an angel to hear about the birth of Jesus were the shepherds. It's really curious that God would choose to to bring the shepherds along. You know, shepherds in this day were kind of a rough lot. I mean, they were not liked by most people. Uh, they certainly didn't attend worship at the temple. I mean, they were they were out kind of doing their own thing. They were they were somewhat despised as cultural outsiders, the shepherds were. But God saw fit to send an angel to the shepherds and say, hey, there's going to be a baby born and you need, to, you need to know about it. You need to visit him. And you know that whenever uh, Mary and Joseph made their way to Bethlehem, Bethlehem had swelled. The population had swelled because people were going to their hometown to, to, uh, for this, this census so there wasn't a place, it was difficult for them to find a place to stay. Now, there's lots of uh, opinion about what actually happened and where they actually stayed. Some we have in our minds that, you know, the innkeeper was like, there's no place for you in the inn, you know, and they're kind of out on the streets wandering and they stumble into this old, you know, crusty barn, you know, and, the, and she's delivering right next to this, you know, this cow or whatever. And, and, and maybe that was it, but more likely they had found a cave, which is a place where people had... Uh, used to keep their animals. And, and, and needless to say, it wasn't the most beautiful, hospitable environment. It was very different than when my wife gave birth to our four children, right? And, and maybe for those of you that are mothers, you would consider what would it be like to give birth in, to a, in a cave with animals all around? I mean, can you imagine the smell? So when, when God became flesh, it was not a, not a pretty environment. It was, the circumstances were not beautiful at all. And uh, well, some of the first people to think about this baby wanted to kill him. Herod, who was a king of the Jews, he was underneath the Roman emperor's power, but the Jews uh, kind of governed themselves based on the rules that the Romans gave them. So they had this room. So Herod was the king of the Jews. Um, he did some good things for the Jews, but he was threatened. He had heard that, that there was going to be this, this baby born who'd become a king, and uh, whether or not he really believed it in the way that the, the Old Testament prophets spoke of it, we're not sure of, but we do know this. He, he knew that if this baby would actually grow up to be a king, his position was in trouble. So what did he try to do? He, he sent 
Well, the Magi came to him saying, hey, the baby's been born. And he said, hey, go tell me where this baby is because I want to visit him too. And he wanted to kill the baby. When Jesus was born, it was in a really dirty, broken, difficult world, just like the world we live in, right? There's so many things about our world that are dirty and that are broken and that are hard to believe. Even in this season, as we celebrate with family and friends, every person in this room um, has experience with or is experiencing right now something that reveals a brokenness and kind of a grossness that exists in our world. Some of you are struggling because something's happening to you or happened to you that's been difficult for you, or maybe you see the brokenness. One thing that happened to me this week, which um, as I tell it, it won't maybe be particularly significant for you, but just God used it in the moment. As I, I was, uh, our church, you all, um, uh, gave, collected some items that we took and presented to the teachers at Gregory Lincoln Elementary School, which is one of the elementaries in the Neartown area. And uh, what's unique about this particular elementary is it's really, um, if you could think in like suburban, urban, and inner city, it's really an inner city elementary. Most of the children are underserved, underprivileged. In fact, the majority of the children that, that uh, go to that school are considered homeless. They live in Salvation Army, a star of hope. They live in a, um, some sort of motel that's, you know, not a nice place to live or, you know, it's, it's a rough kind of a place. But anyway, so we met with the principal a few months ago and uh, we began talking to him. And one of the things that he said that was as part of, a part of his vision was he wanted to really uh, empower his teachers. And so we thought, hey, what better way than just give him a little encouragement. So you all, uh, and specifically some of the ladies of the church got together, put together these little gift bags. And then I did not actually take them over. One of the residents took them over there well, the principal called me and he said, I want you to come to a meeting we're having. Uh, it's going to be a community leaders meeting. And so that's one of the things I, I didn't do any of the work, but yet I get to go to the meeting and take the credit for it. And, uh, and so I go to this community leaders meeting and I'm sitting in the front row. The room itself is is filled with uh, with children and with some parents and 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 as the principal is speaking, he says several things that that really struck me. And because I've been to a number of meetings at my own children's school, and and I, you know, the kind of meetings where when they call the parents together, two hundred parents will show up, and uh, I just realized, like in a lot of ways, how fortunate um, many of these children are, whether or not they realize that realize it that attend my children's school in terms of just having opportunities. So I'm at this other elementary this week and I look around, there's a dozen, there's not that many parents, but there's a lot of really hardworking teachers and the principal is talking to the few that are there in the midst of all of these other children. And he's saying things like this, we're going to make sure that the children that are homeless, considered homeless, have the same kind of opportunity that every other kid in this city should have. Because if they don't have the opportunity, then they're going to end up where some in their family have ended up in prison or on the streets or all this kind of stuff. And I'm sitting there in my mind, I'm thinking, I am three miles from my own home. And here I am in a school where there's great inequity. Like there just doesn't, just doesn't seem fair. So for me, it was a moment of just saying, you know, the Christmas story is beautiful and it's powerful, but we, we declare the goodness of God in the midst 
of a, a city where there is tremendous inequity. And although we, we want to celebrate and rejoice and laugh and be happy at all the good, and we cannot dwell on the bad, we cannot ignore the fact that just like Jesus and his birth became a message in a time that things were very broken, we declare Jesus and his birth as a message in a time that's very broken. And let me tell you something. I think the fact that God became flesh in the form of a man in this circumstance says a lot about how our message so should go forth in the way that it should go forth. So we can't ignore the brokenness that exists out there this holiday season. We must enter into it. We really must. Things like supporting teachers at a local elementary, when those teachers are teaching children, most of whom have parents or don't even live with their parents. They live with an aunt because one or both of their parents is in prison or strung out on drugs. That has to become normal for us as a church. That's how we'll celebrate the Christmas story year round. Not only that, there are, there are other things. And you can think of other ways that, that this, our story can go forth in recognizing the brokenness that exists. You know, it's amazing, again, that God chose to be born among the poor in the hardest of conditions. Um, to, it tells us, reveals to us that God cares deeply for the poor and the destitute. And um, that he identifies himself with the struggling, the outcast. And uh, it's a beautiful, really sobering part of this Christmas story that Jesus entered into our poverty so we would no longer be poor. Now there are some out there, some will stand in pulpits uh, or on the stage in front of churches today that will take this to mean that you should never be financially poor. Well, that's not a reality. I mean, Paul was poor. Jesus was poor. He didn't have a place to lay his own head is what he said, you know, but to, to think about the idea that Jesus entered our poverty so we can no longer be poor reminds me of Philippians chapter 2 where it says, Though Jesus was God, this is talking about the incarnation when God became flesh in the form of this little baby. He did not think of equality with God the Father as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. What a beautiful part of the Christmas story that compels us to love all. Of course, here he's talking about uh, the, the poverty, the po- impoverished state that sin causes. We're impoverished by sin. So when we talk about Jesus entered our poverty, it's not just our financial situation. Jesus enters our impoverished state because of sin, which leaves us bankrupt before God. Because Jesus came, we no longer have to be poor. A book that I've been reading as a part of preparing for these sermons is written by a guy named Rick McKinley. Uh, Chris Say, who has Ecclesia Church over here, is a part of this early days of the Advent conspiracy and doing a wonderful work. Um, there's this, this part in there which is really good. I'll read it to you. It says, The priceless gift of restored relationship with God and others is now offered to those who could never afford it. The outrageous wealth of his righteousness is credited to those who don't deserve it. So let me ask you the question, can this message change the world? I said that in the very beginning as we started Advent together. I said that this message changed the world and it can change the world. Let me ask you, do you think that this message can change the world today? I hope so. I really do. 
Because I believe deeply from God's word that this message of God becoming flesh in really dire circumstances and difficult circumstances and bringing hope in really hopeless places, bringing light in dark places is the message that will change the world. So for those of you that are here that you're not yet believers, maybe you recognize your impoverished spiritual state. You should hear the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 8. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This isn't talking about this financial situation. This is talking about him leaving heaven to come to earth so that we might be enriched with the good news that God loves you and provides a way for your sin to be forgiven through Jesus Christ, this death on the cross. That's awesome, isn't it? Hello, people. Isn't that awesome? This is the Christmas story. Price, isn't that awesome, buddy? Yeah, yeah. So for those of us that are believers, so if you're an unbeliever, uh, don't even listen to the rest because you're going to start doing, you're, you may start doing good things and think that that kind of is, is uh, going to be good enough to earn your way to God. It won't. I mean, even on your best day, well, apart from Christ, if you stand before God, you, you've not done enough. You've not made up for, for your impoverished state. For the, so what you need to do is turn to Christ, place your faith in Christ, let God do the work of begin sanctifying you, making you like Christ and holy and, and, and bringing you, delivering you from the domain of darkness, as Colossians 1 says, and delivering, delivering you into the kingdom of his only son, Jesus Christ. And, uh, and you get a new life in Christ. You get to experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ. That's what you need to do. And then you get to enjoy what the rest of us are going to be challenged with just now. For those of you that are believers, we ought to be modeling this love all generosity by sharing our wealth with those in need. And I do mean like the wealth of our knowledge that in Christ God is restoring. Yes, that means that actively engaging people who are outside of the faith and loving them, caring for them, showing them the gospel by your behavior towards them, But I think it also means being loving all generously also means finding needs where you can help people that cannot help themselves. It's a time of year, maybe more than any other, that a simple act of love can have the greatest impact because people feel their needs far more than any other time of the year. Do you know that? This is a time of the year that we celebrate and we're excited, but we feel our needs for community. We feel our need for uh, prosperity financially. We feel our need for salvation more than any other time of the year. It's like the, the intensity and the stress of the season, which is good. You know, it's because we have good activity going on sometimes and sometimes because we have too much activity going on. It pushes to the surface our sense of need. So right now in the next three days, you can love all generously in your words, in your deeds, in your recognizing their financial plight and then helping them. This is what it means to love all. I think this is a natural expression of celebrating Advent. So the question is, well, how can we love all? Real practically, how can we love all as a celebration of the first coming of Christ, as a humble child, um, he came, and until the second coming of Christ, when Jesus was come, not as a humble child, but as a vindicating king. Well, just really quickly, Matthew chapter 25. Uh, would you just flip there? 
it gives us a really great picture of how we can love all and be generous. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. Talking about the judgment whenever Jesus does return as vindicating king. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So this is talking about the end time. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king, King Jesus, will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by the Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, you will say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And King Jesus will answer, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these of my brothers, you did it to me. That's a really powerful idea. This is how we Love all. Really simple acts of love. Giving someone something to eat or drink. And certainly this means finding needs around us of someone that doesn't even have food for the day. Welcoming people. I think this can include like welcoming people into your home inviting people into your life, going to the trouble of getting your house ready to invite people that are outside the faith and certainly people that are share your faith, invite them into your home so that you can begin experiencing their story and they can hear yours. This is how we love all. This is how we respond to the good news of, of, um, this, this life with Christ. We welcome people, we clothe them. Do you know, um, I'm, I'm going to misquote this, but so forgive me, it just comes to mind. you know the average age of homelessness in this city is something like, what is it, like 13? Is that, is that the number? Like, something is wrong with that. We, as a church, are, we're, we're going to get busy with the work of identifying needs in our city, in our community. That's why we planted a church in the city, is because we... we we saw that there was an impoverished spiritual state and there are other church doing a great job, but there's a whole lot of people that never heard the good news of Jesus. And we, we, we're, we're operating as a church and being passionate as a church and living as a church and a group of people getting to know one, one another with a forward facing kind of, uh, uh, posture because we want to see what needs are out there and then begin to, to, to see how God would use us to meet those needs. And one thing that's really unique about this community is the like median income of the people that attend this church is, is above average. I mean, upper class, upper middle class, I'm just guessing kind of, I have all your records. No, um, I work for the NSA. Um, but, but we have an opportunity, right? 
And so we as a church, as you're kind of looking around and going, ah, what are the needs? What am I supposed to do? You say, no, we as a church, we will find opportunities to to help uh, create some equity in this very uh, broken uh, society. And and there will, Jesus even said, there will always be poor among us. And so there'll never be a day when there's no poor people. But dadgummit, we want to love all people generously. We want to be about helping people. We can welcome them. We can clothe them. We can visit them. When God's people serve by giving, the story of Jesus is proclaimed. So I invite you this holiday season as some of my last words that you'll hear in 2013 to respond to the Christmas story by choosing to love generously. And with more than words, I mean, your words are important. I mean, people will not be saved unless the gospel is preached. But certainly that includes good deeds, doing good things that represent the heart of the father for those that are less fortunate. I invite you to open your eyes as we as a church are busy identifying the needs around us. And I'm so thankful for the way that this church, uh, and if you're new to this church, this is something you should know. One of the things we value is radical generosity, and that that is really reflected into in the life of our church. Most of the people that participate in this church give on an ongoing basis to see the mission move forward so we can help other people. We've seen some awesome stuff this year um, of just God using us as a church to help people, and, and I, won't, I won't go into all that now I'll probably send you a letter after the, after the end of the year just to let you know all the things that, that we've seen, been able to be a part of God doing. But as we end this year, we are really um, asking God to continue to pour out a financial blessing on this fund that we're raising money for to help people uh, in Ecuador. So if that stirs your heart at all, that's a way that you can love all. Uh, I've already mentioned that we have somewhere around $8,000 that we're going, that we've raised. And I just, I mean, that may be all God's going to provide, but if your heart is stirred, like, Hey, I want to be a part of that. I want, I'm encouraging all of the people of Neartown church to give something. We've had people give a dollar. We've had people give almost $3,000. So, um, we want for you to, to be a part of that as we think about loving all. Will you love all this Advent season? Let's pray together. Thanks for listening to this message from Neartown Church. If you want to talk to someone about what you've heard today, please visit neartownchurch.org and click the contact button.